everybody, welcome to the event. I'm Matt from Law Trades. I'm our head of community. If you don't know Law Trades, we are a legal tech company that helps busy legal departments and law firms do more with less. So we provide on-demand, flexible talent, lawyers, paralegals, legal ops professionals, contract managers, what have you, with, again, very flexible hours and very quickly. Today, I'm super excited for this event. We were talking before and we were all having good laughs because this is a fun topic for us. And it's how to build a uh, high-performing legal team. Here today, I have Sean, who's a Deputy General Counsel of Altasource. And I have Millie, who is the General Counsel of Bungalow. Guys, thank you so much for showing up for this. I'm, I love this because I had the pleasure of building a legal team. And it is a blast. So first and foremost, why is this an important topic? I think it's it's important for for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's particularly in this labor market, but in many of them, it's it's probably the biggest differentiator that you can have when talking about whether people should come and join you. You know, all the talk about culture, all the talk about work life balance, challenging work, et cetera, that's all phenomenally important. But but the most important factor is to create a team where people enjoy coming to work, where they're fully invested, where they find that their manager's supportive. So more than anything else, I think I think that's that's the most important part of it. I completely agree with Sean. I think just a few additional points, at least for me, what I've found since I joined, uh, went in-house and went in-house in particular in the startup space is your team is really your biggest unlock, right? Your mandate as a GC is to help grow the business, unlock opportunities for that business. And you can't do that without having a team that helps you 10x your personal work and and so it's important to recruit the right folks who are going to be high performing and enjoying it while they're doing it. So I, I think that's pretty critical. And Sean also sort of not made a nod at what we all see happening in sort of macro in the market is law firms are paying more than ever. And so it's really critical for us folks in-house to understand what's the appeal? How do we get those the top talent in and under what circumstances that they can help us unlock growth? That's a really good point. Salaries are the highest I've personally ever seen. I remember coming out of law school and seeing the first move by Cravath. I think it was 150, 160. I think we're now at 200. So very good point. I saw recently, not to talk about memes, I feel like that's all I talk about nowadays, but I saw a meme jokingly of, I think it was from SpongeBob and it was a bunch of, uh, it was an office, a bunch of SpongeBob characters running around and there's fire and it's an office setting. And that is it's a joke, but it kind of, for this scenario, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like I have seen that where you are uh, looking at a legal team that's kind of bits and pieces and it doesn't really make sense and folks don't really know what each other is doing. And it wasn't, I guess it's not managed properly and it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And for me, that's why it's important because the legal department is the silent hero, if you will, of a, of a company. If the company's moving smooth and you don't hear anything happening, legal is doing its job. If the office is on fire like that meme, Something's wrong with legal. So, or something's wrong with the team. So, I absolutely. And, you know, to that point, let's talk about hiring a team, right? What strategies would y'all employ? Like, what do you guys think about when you're, when you're thinking about building a team? I'll let Sean jump in, obviously, as well. But one of the things I really think about is who do we actually need? How many people do we need? You've both heard me say before, it doesn't serve anybody and it certainly doesn't serve the business to empire build. And so I really like to be incredibly deliberative about headcount and let the data drive the numbers. So what are the things, the OKRs for the business for that quarter, that year? How is is legal expected to drive those OKRs? And so who does it need in what seats to do that? And a good rule of thumb that I've heard that 
generally has has worked out for me is for every one legal hire, there's typically three finance hires. And so that's a good ratio to have. But for folks out there looking to do the data analysis on who they might need, I would say, bring your finance team on board with you as your buddy in the room on that and have them help you understand what are you spending on legal spend for outside counsel in what categories and does it sense that as a matter of just pure numbers to bring that in-house as headcount? And then once you bring that person in-house, I really think it's important how you go about recruiting. I've found for anything other than executive roles, it makes sense to just use your in-house recruiting team. We don't typically use recruiters for those roles because we we really want to have a high-touch moment with that person and understand them. And I'm happy to go into more detail on that matter. I don't know if I anticipated a question. You might have. You might have. <laughs> Apologize. No, you're good. Sean, what, what about you? What are your strategies? that yeah, are you doing? I have to say, ordinarily, I am a bit of a data geek and I like to look at the numbers. But this one, this one, I'm more of, of a subjective guy on, on this. So what I like to look at is, you know, get a sense of am, am I happy with the quality of work that the existing team is is doing? Or do I feel we are, you know, we're just stretched too thin that we're having to cut corners that are fine in a pinch, but but they're not going to work long term. So kind of ask that question. Second question is for for the more senior people there, are they getting enough time to to work on strategic matters? Are they do they have enough time to really be a leader where they're in the room kind of having the brainstorming sessions where you're trying to really have a meaningful impact on the direction of the company? If you're not getting that because you're just not getting invited, that's that's a separate problem, but if you if they are asking you and you just don't have the mental energy to to take the leadership role that you could, then that's that's generally a, a staffing problem that you, you need to do something in terms of getting more resources. And once you you answer those questions, it certainly sounds like there's there could be a justification for, for adding headcount. And then data suggestions were a good one. Then you can try to find the data to support it, to build the case to other people. But but the first question to me is usually a subjective one along those lines. That's awesome. I I'm also a data person. That was what I used is I would go and I would take a look and at least for my business, like what was growing and what wasn't. So if I had work that was really, I could see over the course of a, maybe the next couple months, it's going to really increase, but overall it's probably decreasing or it may just remain stable. I'm going to bite the bullet on it. But if there's a group or a practice area or whatever it is in the, in the practice area, gosh, business sector in the company that I see and I know that there's going to be real growth and I see the data to support it, I take that data to my C-suite and I say, hey, guys, we need paralegal, we need attorney, we need something to support. And I'm using the data also of how much is outside counsel spend, right? Or how much can we ultimately save because we're bringing it inside or how fast we can move on deals to make everyone money. So that's the strategy I would employ as well is showing the data or at least looking at the data and making decisions based on the data. And that being said, I definitely would do a subjective touch too, where I'm like, I need people to come in here and help for a culture, which is something we'll probably talk about a little bit later today. How do I help push the company culture in a direction where folks are comfortable with legal? But I agree full on with both of your strategies. Awesome strategies. Now, that being said, do you remember your first legal hire? At your current companies, if you can remember your original legal hire, we will send you a LawTrace t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> For me, it's one and the same. I mean, I've, I've been at AltaSource almost 10 years now. Before that, I was never in a position to, to hire anybody. So so yes, I, I do. And, and, and pretty clearly. Neely, how about you? 
I do too. I mean, just focusing on Bungalow, my current company, when I joined about a little over nine months ago, it became apparent to me that I needed somebody in the room. And this goes to your point, Sean, about subjective criteria driving hirings, which I fully agree with you on. I really needed a buddy to handle any and all pre-litigation matters, disputes, etc. I come from a litigation background, but it was not where I wanted to be spending much of my day-to-day. I really wanted to be spending my time in the corporate space and deal-making and all that. And we brought someone in who had really excellent litigation experience, and in particular in the real estate space. And he talked about unlocking potential for a business, has really allowed us to handle those matters with aplomb and efficiency and efficacy and has done an incredible job and certainly freed me up to then focus on the corporate side of the house where I really wanted to be not orienting myself. Kind of similar story for me, at least in terms of the results and the unlocking. For me, I had been at AltaSource for probably a year and a half or two. At the time, I was really focused on IP but I was, I was definitely trying to keep broadening my skill set to be more of a generalist, at least for our technology businesses. And I got to a point where I felt, you know, I'm just, I'm just drowning in the, the everyday IP work. It probably doesn't make sense for me to, uh, to do that. And candidly, I was getting incredibly bored with that and wanted to spend my time doing, doing other things. And so hired somebody to really take over all the IP work. It was a great, great hire within kind of, I'd say within a month, the amount of time that I spent on IP just plummeted. I was having a lot more fun. They really liked it. It was a good growth opportunity for them. And then within a year of that, started working on developing and growing her. So I got, got more time freed up for myself. So it was, it was a really great, uh, great move all around. Awesome. Sean, I, I guess I probably owe you both t-shirts at this point. I, <laughs> so that leads me to, a, I guess, a question that I have personally. And it's actually a question that someone has already asked. So now you're talking about hiring. All right, we're, we, we know we've identified the need. We've looked at our factors. All right, there definitely needs to be a higher need. Let's say, no, let's general, generalist. I guess, how do you guys move? In? And when I say that, I, say, uh, I mean, like, do you utilize, I guess, outside vendors? Do you just make a post online? Do you reach out to your network? And then I'll start with that. I have another question after. I, I'm a litigator. I'm not going to make any compound questions here. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. We're watching. We're listening for the compound <laughs> I'll, I'll take a first stab at this just because it was the question I was anticipating earlier. And then Sean jump in, obviously. Like I said earlier, I really think for most of the roles that we're hiring for, Sean and I, it, we don't need an actual recruiter for those. There's so many listers out there. Attorney Jobs Search, I'm forgetting some of the names. Tech GC is an incredible resource. Certainly for us, Tech GCs to use ourselves, but they also have a great job posting. So I think it's really critical to have a very clear job description, write it in a way that folks won't be intimidated by it, will you know, put their hat in the ring, and then send it across the board to all these listservs that generate attention, including LinkedIn, obviously. And then once you're there, that's when you begin the vetting and certainly have thoughts on that. But I'll turn it over to Sean on his process. Yeah, on on that initial part, you know, nothing nothing too different from from what Neely was saying. Yeah, I don't think I've ever used an external recruiter. I think there was one time we got close when we just really really struggled to find a niche role, but other than that, we relied on our internal recruiting department posting on LinkedIn, the key job sites, and then also having everybody in the in the legal department reach out to their own networks see if they know anybody who'd be interested. The vast majority of the time, you know, you at least get candidates in the door for interviews and then you can start filtering them pretty quickly. So absolutely agree with that approach. 
So I assume Matt was your next question then about the process of, you know, interviewing and things like that, or were you? Well, hold on. I'm asking the questions here, guys. <laughs> hold on. Yes, actually. So you have a candidate. Candidate comes in. You finally found this person. You think they may be a good fit. How do you vet the candidate? Yeah. So really, I'll, I'll, I'll probably start here, but then obviously jump in. This is something where I've evolved dramatically over the last year and a half or so. I think prior to that time period, I used to kind of filter out the candidates pretty strongly based on, you know, wouldn't get married to a specific number of years of experience, but wanted to get comfortable that they at least done the core tasks before. I was really hesitant to hire somebody to focus on contracts if they had no record of ever negotiating a contract before. I've absolutely evolved on that. I, I, for me, in my experience, I think that that's been a mistake to overly focus on that. It's relevant. I'm not saying ignore it, but but that's not my focus anymore. I, so now I really try to focus on more than anything else somebody who has a has a track record of learning new things, learning new things, and continually learning new things. That to me, even you know, if I'm hiring for a contract role, if they've never done that, but they went from being a litigator to taking on some regulatory work to become a data privacy expert, etc., that to me screams somebody. Okay, this is somebody who really wants to grow and adapt. Uh, They like learning new things. I'm sure that if this all checks out in the interview process, this person would would do really well here. That to me is far more important. And we've we've had a lot of success in in doing that. We've hired some people kind of either fresh out of law school or within a couple of years out of law school without really any necessarily relevant experience to the specific job. And they've done phenomenally well. Like a, a year in, I mean, I think the first time we did that, you know, six months in, I realized, okay, this is the model now. This is what we we keep doing, and we've repeated that at least a couple times since then, and it's and it's definitely gone well. I agree with all that. I think the two things I'm really focusing on in terms of who's the right candidate for the role is, you know, when we're talking about the foundational roles, like my first hire at Bungalow and we just made our second one as a litigator, one the corporate person is going to be really important for those first foundational roles that they sort of have mastered the basics of their craft. So for the litigator, it's really important to understand the basics of litigating, how to analyze case law, write and really maneuver a matter through its various phases. And for the corporate person, you know, similar you know, I'll be different areas of skills, but they sort of need to have that basic skill set because startups move so fast. We need to do so much in, in such little time that there isn't really going to be time to develop that set of skills. And where you really want to be coming in as the GC is weighing in on strategy on those matters, but letting them really own the day to day, which is, of course, one of the reasons why they're hopefully interested in a startup is the massive impact that they can have day to day. So one of the things I look for, at least for the foundational role, is do you have enough years of experience doing the basic master of the law? And then the second thing I look for is, are you excited by the day-to-day work or is it just the idea of a startup that's moving fast and and hopefully not breaking things? Yeah. And I mean, it can be exciting. It's it's certainly why I now live and play in this space. I love it. I think it is exciting. But we, we forget that really most of your day outside of those exciting meetings and the impactful work is still doing the law. And so one of the ways I've, the tricks I've developed to test for that is 
doing some sort of challenge exercise often has a written component to it. Certainly have people interview with me, with our recruiting team, and then a panel. But at some point when we think we've honed in on a, a good candidate or candidates, we have them do the challenge exercise because that's really a good test of are you willing to do the work and at what quality are you doing the work? And we found a lot of candidates drop off at that phase and that sort of answers the question for us. That's a great strategy to employ. And I've seen that a lot more, especially in in-house departments, because if someone doesn't fit the culture, if someone doesn't, I'm going to get, I swear I'll get to culture eventually, but someone, and if someone doesn't look like they're strong in certain areas that maybe you need a generalist, but you need them a little bit stronger, maybe in corporate contracts, maybe you have an overflow of vendor contracts, for example, you got to know that at the forefront. So I, I, I love that strategy. We have a question that's interesting. How can a legal ops professional support the legal team in its hiring process? I actually, I, I'm, I'm going to take a quick crack at it first, only because I hired like a jack of all trades, paralegal, legal ops person. And that person was with me more or less in the back end, looking through and making sure that the person that we were looking at, their background fit what we were looking for and made sure to see, you know, more or less just kind of did the back end work for me. So when I can do the interview, I was fully prepared. What do y'all think? Yeah, I mean, I I would say, I think that makes a lot of sense, Matt. I would say in general, it would be, I'm actually surprised that not more legal teams get more directly involved with with doing, seeing almost every application that comes in, rather relying on the internal recruiting department to, to always do that first pass. Because I have found, you know, recruiting departments, look, they're, they're amazing. They're hearing, getting a, a huge volume of applications across every function of the company. You can't expect them to, to really know the specifics of what the legal team needs, how it really works in practice, how urgent it is in comparison to, to other roles. You, you just can't expect that of them. So ideally, what, what I would want is have the recruiting team, the talent management team do a just a smell test of does this application, you know, is this for a lawyer? First of all, do they have any kind of legal experience? Does it seem like a fraudulent application or is it legit? And if it hits all that, I would say pass it to somebody in legal operations, somebody in the legal team to really do really do the filtering rather than relying exclusively on the on the recruiting team. Because I think you can miss so many good applicants if you're relying on the the recruiting team to do that filtering for you. My experience has been slightly different. I mean, I had I had the benefit at Robinhood of having a recruiter there who just had focused on the legal space. And so she truly understood after conversations with me what we were looking for in terms of experience, years, and so on. And so could then curate up a set of resumes. And so that was great. I've developed over the years now um, to a point where I really let myself trust my recruiting team to do the vetting for me because the sheer number of applications you get in is is too much for you to do the work every day and then you know spend your evenings looking through you know 20 plus applications that come in on any given week. And so I try to solve for that by having early conversations with the recruiting team about what I'm looking for, sending some sample resumes or sample profiles to them from LinkedIn or from law firm websites. And then I just sort of have to trust that they're going to deliver the right folks to me just because it, it gets a little bit unwieldy. And I, I don't presently have a legal ops person who could fulfill that role. Understand. Yeah. Great list and great points around. I wish I had a legal recruiter. That sounds awesome. Like an internal one when I was like, I got it. Don't worry about it. And just off they go. So we've talked about hiring. We've talked about vetting a candidate. So let's say you've, you've made your hires. You made a couple hires. All right. Now we're talking about managing the team. 
man, because right, you could hire a bunch of folks, but if you're not managing them correctly, it's like that meme from the beginning where they're all running around like crazy. So what are the keys to management, managing a legal team? I don't know if I have all the answers, but one of the things that I really want to to enable for my team is, look, you made a decision to come in-house. You made a decision to come in-house to a high growth startup. And, and why was that? And I think one of the reasons is because people are looking to have impact and to help not just do the work, but build a business. And that's truly what we're doing every day and what keeps me excited about the work every day. And so I really try to look for opportunities where aside from the day-to-day work, how are we advising the business on strategy? How are we getting in the room to help them grow a business? And also, how do we together build the legal function at a startup? I mean, we, I really try to open up entrepreneurial opportunities, both within the legal team and within the business more broadly. And so that just means helping your team, I think, not just do the day-to-day work, but then recognize and present to them opportunities for work beyond that. And so that's, it's a challenge because we also ourselves, I'm sure Sean feels the same way, we get involved in the work and in the weeds. But it's important to just sort of pull out and get a sense holistically on any week-to-week or month-to-month, what's each person doing and how do I help unlock doors for them and get them into more rooms at the company so that they can start advising. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I, I completely agree with that. I'd add on top of that, you know, to me, the number one thing is honesty. Have an open line of honest communication at, at all times, whether that's, you know, the type of work that they want to do, whether they have any concerns, concerns with me specifically, I want them to to, to even empower them to, to do that. And sometimes if I sense they might be a little unhappy with the decision, that I made, I'll even float a trial balloon, put words in their mouth, say, you know, you might be thinking, hey, Sean, this was a terrible decision for these reasons. And I want you to know it's fine for you to say that and see if they run with it because I need to I need to have that. I mean, I don't want to be guessing what, what people are thinking. And I don't want them guessing what what I'm thinking. That doesn't that doesn't really help anything. I would say the second one would be really trying to understand what motivates them and what their goals are. To some extent, that, that comes back to honesty. But I, I use the example of if somebody tells me that they want my job in a year or two, or if somebody tells me that they want some experience that our company just, they're never going to get it in this company. And so that necessarily means they'll want to leave the company one day. I still want to know that. And I will still help them get there. And a lot of people think that's foolish because you know why are you training somebody just so that they can leave you when they say they're going to leave you? I would say, one... People change their mind all the time and they might discover, hey, I really like my growth here. I want to keep continuing that. But two, even if they leave, you know, you had a really, really motivated employee for a year, two years, whatever it is. And they're always going to look back fondly on that. They're always going to be a good connection that you may need to reach out to. Maybe if you need something, if you want advice on something, if you you know want them to use their network to help you fill a critical role. So those, I would say, are the two, the two key things that I, I try to do. I'm going to pause what I'm asking because I've got two questions that, that, are, that are interesting on this topic that I think I'll bring up now. So I have a question that... I found that my job description as an associate counsel changes and expands every six months as they scale. Any tips for existing team members for how to remain valuable as the team grows and the scope of legal responsibility grows with them? I'll just comment. If your job is you know, changing, expanding every six months, in some ways, that's a really great sign because it means you're at a fast-growing company that is pivoting to meet the needs of product market fit, 
you know, macroeconomic factors, who knows, right? And so that's, in my experience, that's expected, particularly if you're at a high growth startup. How I would suggest remaining valuable is to really be nimble and to grow with the business and figure out, okay, today I'm being asked to learn everything there is marketing or tomorrow it's going to privacy and really just sort of step up to the challenge. There are so few things that you, you know, none of this is rocket science, in other words. And with Google, the startup lawyer's favorite tool and other resources, including outside counsel, you can tackle all of these challenges that come as the business pivots and thus your role pivots. So in many ways, the person who asked this question, I think this is a really great sign if you're at being asked to pivot as they're pivoting and just believe in yourself and your ability to rise to that challenge by being resourceful, digging deep, learning, gaining a deep bunch of experience in whatever area you're being asked to tackle and then working with the business to meet their problems in that new area. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, yeah, that when when I saw that question, the first thing was the first thing that came to my mind is if that's happening, you're you're doing something right. You're showing you're valuable right right there by the fact that they keep doing that. To the extent it's not what you wanted, like to the extent that they are asking you to grow into roles or take on certain responsibilities that you're just not interested in, my advice would be make sure you have a good relationship with your manager and, and talk through that with them. But to the extent it's just a matter of not being sure if you can really handle it. I think, yeah, everything that Neely says, I 100% agree with, without question. And then the the other thing that I'd add is as that starts happening, I think the critical skill that you need to work on developing is prioritization and recognizing, you know, I, I used to be able to focus on these three things. Now I'm asked to do nine different things. It can be overwhelming. You've got to get used to the idea that you can't get as much in the weeds on those three because you've got six new things to do and figuring out, okay, what's really important now? That's how you show your value. Awesome points, guys. I couldn't agree more. There's something for me to add. So I'll go to the second question, which is interesting. So any tips for more junior lawyers on how they can contribute to a high-performing legal team other than just great work and being willing to expand into a different practice area? Yeah. I mean, certainly those two there are the great ones. Pretty good tips right there. Yeah. I would say, you know, certainly taking taking initiative. So thinking about things like taking the lead on maybe coming up with job aids for for future hires, for example, so that people people don't have to go through the same learning cycle that that you did. Make it easier for the people coming behind you that will ultimately make your own job easier because when somebody else is hired, they're going to be coming to you for help. And if you've already kind of laid the groundwork, that, that's just going to make your job a lot easier. I would also say it's not enough to do great work, but also make sure you're developing really deep relationships with your clients. You want to aspire to have the kind of relationship with all your clients where they're not just coming to you with problems or they're not even just coming to you with what they want to do and figuring out a way for you to say yes. You want to get to a point, ideally, where they trust you so much, they like working with you so much that that they want you kind of in the room noodling on, on ideas that are really at the nascent stage trying to figure out, okay, how can we mess, best make this happen? So those would definitely be the areas that I would, I would focus on. I completely agree. I mean, you know, the best way to unlock your potential and thus then drive to growth for the business is to show early on that you're a collaborator. You know how to get in the room, really listen to your client, 
understand what they're doing, understand the business. And I'll come back to that point in a moment because I think it's critical. And then be their thought partner in the room. We've all heard the expression, don't be the department of no. And I know it's oft quoted, but there's a reason why it's oft quoted because it's so essential for us to show up every day as thought partners, collaborators, people who are willing to really listen and think about, is there a solution here that we haven't thought of before that is perfectly legal and but still innovating for the business. Just to go back to the point also about learn the business, I'm sure everybody's also heard this before, so I'm not saying anything novel, but it is really our superpower as in-house lawyers is we get to occupy a position vis-a-vis the business that outside counsel will just never be able to occupy, which is your day in, day out, in the room, metaphorically or otherwise, with access to the dashboards, the software services systems, and all the data. And so whoever knows the facts best, I mean, litigators know this, the owner of the facts is ultimately the person who drives the strategy. And so in a business as an in-house lawyer, irrespective of whether you're a junior lawyer or not, and often the more junior members are more on the front lines and can truly understand the business in a way that the GC or the WDC can't always have access to. So I think your superpower as a more junior lawyer is to not only show up as a collaborator, but also to completely master the ins and outs of the product, the product feature, the platform, whatever your business is, so that you're called on as the subject matter expert from the legal side in in all of those important meetings. The superpower. I love that. I wish I was told I had a superpower when I was in-house. That's no, I, I think these are stellar advice. I think we're also seeing a lot of... I think in-house departments are getting younger. You are seeing people more receptive to more junior attorneys coming on. I think for many years, it was always this notion right, that uh, to go in-house, you have to work at a firm for 10 years, and then you transition to an in-house department that you was your client. right? That was always the thought. It's definitely changing. I think a lot of folks are kind of unsure of what to do as a junior attorney because you're always thinking like... I. I should be in a firm right now. So I, I love the advice. I love the advice to junior attorneys that are in-house departments. It means a lot to me because I was a younger attorney in an in-house department. So that actually, I think that leads me to my next line of questions. Again, I feel like I'm taking a deposition today. Is, is culture. Is culture, for me, culture it was very important. And I don't just mean external culture where I'm talking about the culture facing from the legal department facing the business. I also mean internal culture, which is, the culture of your legal department. Now, guys, do you have any strategies or tips relating to both internal or external culture? For internal, you know, to, to me, the way I, I see it as a manager, number one part of internal culture is making sure that the entire team feels that they can say no to me at any time about any request that I make. I want them to feel, you know, if I say, hey, I know you don't have any trademark experience. Do you have any interest in working on this cease and desist letter with me? Or, hey, you know, do you do you have time to take on this special project? We'll get you a lot of visibility, but I know you've got a lot going on right now. Are you interested in that? Whatever the question, I, I want them to to feel free to say no. And until you, you know, I'm still not sure. I built up that credibility. I try to do everything I can. Right now, I, I go, especially with new people, I go for a no sandwich. I will say, I'm going to ask you something. Feel free to say no. And I ask them. And then I say at the end, I really made it. You can say no. There's no wrong answer here. And just hope that they believe me. Because again, it goes back to what I was saying before about honesty. I mean, if they don't feel that level of comfort, then you're going to get people who are doing things they don't really want to do, or they're not motivated or working too much when they're already overwhelmed. And it's just not going to be good for anybody in the long term. 
I very much agree with all that. You want a dialogue with your team rather than a directive relationship. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. In terms of taking on the second part of the question, how you present then to the business team, I mentioned collaborative as, as one of you know the things that I'd love to be known for and my team to be known for. I think the three C's that I've used before is like credibility. Do you show up every from day one as a credible partner to them? Do you show up from day two, this is the second C as a competent partner to them. And then do you show up as a collaborative partner to them? And I think if you just constantly in every interaction, when you're being asked whether the business can do something or do something a certain way, just keep honing in on how am I going to be a credible, competent, collaborative partner here? And then that gets you out of the know and really gets you into brainstorming and working with your business team rather than these two separate divisions just sort of like talking at each other. Before you guys get to external, Sean, the no sandwich, I, I have to know the origin of that. <laughs> heard that I love it. Right here while we were talking. Did you um, just pick that up right now? <laughs> that compliment sandwich or the criticism, like if you're going to give somebody constructive criticism, you go positive, constructive, positive. And I hear that. And so literally two minutes ago, I was like, let's call it the no sandwich and see if that works. So yeah. I'm stealing that. That is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I thought that was something that you had had previously. Maybe a manager had taught you about that. Well, listen, I, I think that's really cool. And I meme about it, Matt. Let's see what that looks like. Those are famous last words. On that note, what, why don't we talk about external culture and the, the culture of your legal team as it faces the company? And you know what? It, it, I think not just faces the company, it also faces obviously external counsel and outside counsel. So what are your strategies and tips and thoughts on, on how to present a positive external culture? For me, I would say number one thing is empathy. That's what I really try to get everybody in the team to always, always embody that anytime, whether you know you think your client's got a really dumb idea, you think outside counsel is really not understanding a word of what you're saying, you think a, a counterparty is being completely unreasonable, whatever it is, really work with them to to understand they've got to suppress that instinct to say, no, 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 that's completely wrong. Let me tell you how it is. And and really try to understand, okay, I get where you're coming from, but it sounds like what you're really concerned about is this. You know, now that we're on the same page, I don't think that's a concern for this reason or or something like that. So that that's what I, you know, that's what I focus on. I don't know if I have too much more to add on that. Just, you know, touched earlier on sort of how we present internally. I guess to your point, Matt, we also need to think about how we present to our outside counsel and how do we get really top firms working with us on our issues and at the right rate. And I, I think it's it comes down to, you know, also doing the work of presenting in a competent manner to outside counsel, showing that you can be a trusted partner to them. And then also, you know, frankly, doing the vetting in a pitch call and pitch decks and all that. I really firmly believe in taking that process seriously to find the right partner, whether it's a firm or which partner within that firm is going to be the right engagement partner for you. I don't know if that was part of your question. So I hope I didn't. No, that was. That's exactly right. And I actually, we've got some good questions on this topic, both on internal and external. So I'll go back to internal very quickly. How can we create a good culture for a high performing team when we're all working remotely? So how, what are strategies for remote work or remote team? One of the things that I found really helps is to have a very solid onboarding document for that incoming team member that links out to sort of the foundational documents for them to hit the ground running on week one and then the 30, 60, day, 90 day mark. And so in that document, I, I always put 
the agenda that they're going to fill out for our weekly syncs. I put the company OKRs. I put info on messaging on Slack, sort of our our Slack culture, our email culture, things like that. So it's a one-stop shop in that one document that they can keep going back to. I also put the names and basic info, including title, location of their key cross-functional partners, we're really in-house lawyers. We're only as effective as our cross-functional relationships. And so it's important to know your key buddies in the room from day one. And so to that point, in addition to building out a really robust onboarding document, I make sure I set them up for meet and greets that first week or two with their key partners and give them a set of questions. Tell them, ask, you know, use this time for you and build your relationship. But you may want to ask so-and-so about what they're building in this side of the business and how you can add value so that they've got some sense of how to use that time, that first really important time where they're building their brand with their cross-functional partner. I found that works. So one other thing I'll say before turning it over to Sean is I found it really helps us at Bungalow as an executive team to meet regularly for offsites. So we're in the room together and and really solving problems. And so by extension, now that we've got a, a full legal team at Bungalow, we'll be doing that meeting offsite once or twice a year in person for two to four days, five days maybe, and really actually doing the work in the room and getting to know each other on a social level because that ultimately, I think, solves the remote problem if you have some in-person touch points to build relationships. So interestingly enough, this is my only real experience is doing this remotely. You know, I've been remote for for six of the 10 years that I've been at AltaSource. And even those first four years, I used to go to an office, but I went to an office where nobody else on my team was. So I was I was always managing them remotely. So I guess if I ever get a different job or move to a different place, I'll have to ask, hey, how do you do this in person? I have no idea. But I, I would say a couple key things. So one is most important thing is be available, be so accessible to to your entire team. Make sure that they know they can reach out to you. Make sure you demonstrate that by if they ever do reach out to you, you pick up the phone, you you get back to them right away if, if at all possible. And if not, at least to say, hey, I'm on another call right now. If it's important, let me know. Otherwise, can I can I catch you at this time? Make sure that you know they really feel comfortable that they, they you don't ever create the impression that, oh, Sean's so busy. What if I'm bothering him? You know, that that's the kind of stuff if they have those feelings that that can really, really kind of take that away. The the other thing I would say, oh, just one tidbit on that one kind of somewhat controversial thing that (laughs) I'm saying it here, but but I have never posted it on LinkedIn because I'm a little scared to. I am much more, much, much more likely to, you know, to pick up a call from somebody on my team, even if I'm in the middle of something, than I am to pick up a call from my manager or my CEO if I'm in the middle of something. Because I generally have a pretty good idea of what my manager or CEO is calling to to ask. And I have a sense of, is this really urgent or not? I can I, I usually know. But when it's my team, I often don't know. They could be struggling with something that I, I just don't get that I don't realize that they're struggling with. And and I really want to set that environment and that expectation that they can they can get to me if they if they need me. The, so if you're going to post clips, Matt, try not to post this one online. So my CEO. Just- I thought it was going to be a lot more controversial. I was like, oh my gosh, I did not expect this. This forum. Yeah. Now the, I guess the the other thing, and this is something that it took me a while to to start doing, but 
you know, when we were all in the same office, I don't mean we, as I said, I never really was, but in other places, you know, I used to used to go to lunch from time to time and just get to know, hang out outside of work. I never do that. Most people live that I manage live in a different country. And so what I have started doing is is a lot more of the the virtual coffees kind of thing where we we set aside time where we expressly we're not talking about work. Let's just talk about other things if they feel comfortable doing it and just get to know each other a lot better. And that that has made a tremendous difference. I've never used this app. I heard about it at TechGC this um, last weekend or last week, Donut. And I think it's a it's a similar kind of what you're describing. What it is is, and I've heard legal teams use this app. Is it, it connects you and your and someone on your legal team or just someone in your legal team with someone in the business. And there's maybe like a quick question on it or some sort of icebreaker. And you do it at lunch or at some designated time and you use it so your folks internally can meet the business. Or you can use it if you have a big enough legal department to have conversations with your legal department. Just, you know, just really, to your point, Sean, much more uh, personal, a much more personal conversation, maybe not about work. Or maybe you can use it about work in a more personal setting. Like, hey, I didn't want to ask Sean about this or I didn't want to ask Nelly about this. I have a question about this. So... I have heard about that, um, and I, I love it. I think it's a great way to promote uh, culture or good internal culture or even external culture while being remote. I think Slack actually has either an integration with the Donut app or has its own uh, capabilities there where it can set you up either with your business partners or people within your own team for random coffee meets. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I learned something else on this today. Okay, <laughs> something maybe not really. I'm going to use this after. So that's fascinating. I appreciate you guys on the insight. The other question I have, which maybe isn't necessarily about managing counsel. I, I still think it's a fairly interesting question, but what about managing outside counsel? So when you see outside counsel, maybe not living up to the expectations and maybe not presenting a good external culture, you know, like they're not fitting your culture. How quick do you move? Do you, do you discuss with outside counsel? And I know this is a little off the beaten path for what we're talking about, but I, again, I, I think it's a bit interesting. So what do you do in those stories where you don't think outside counsel is performing? I've never hesitated to be quick to change counsel when it needs to be done. I really view us as stewards of the company and, you know, we're spending uh, money and spending good money on outside counsel. So if they're not meeting our needs and if a change is the way to fix that, we will do that without even hesitation. But what I would explore first, of course, is having a conversation with the engagement partner on that Mm -hmm. representation about you know, why they're not meeting your needs and what's the way we can solution to have them meet our needs. And that's why it goes back to one of the things I said earlier about making sure when you're selecting counsel that you really vet them, look at the pitch deck they're sending you, get on a call, get on a Zoom with your engagement partner or your would-be engagement partner and really test whether that person is your right partner. And I don't just mean partners and they're a partner at the firm, but I mean your buddy because you're going to inevitably do work with their partners, you know, particularly your corporate counsel. You will have your engagement partner and then that person will send you off for your debt financing yep. to one partner, for your equity financing to another partner. But you need to be able to have a really good relationship with that central engagement partner to whom you can turn when you're not happy with the rest of the team or the rest of the work. And that dialogue should be ongoing as the work is progressing about what's working and what's not. And then without hesitation, say, we're just not going to continue to work with this firm anymore. And I've certainly made those decisions since I've gone in-house in the past since 2018. And you just can't look back because they're not meeting the business's needs and, and they're not making you look good vis-a-vis your business. Yeah, not much to add there. Com- completely agree. 
the the one thing I think that I would add is really kind of just a subset of that is the one area where I struggle to think that that it can be corrected because it's a more of an attitudinal fundamental part of a given partner or other outside counsel is if they are kind of really receptive to to the comments and concerns that that we as in-house counsel are raising. I think it's it's gotten better, but I still encounter honestly usually partners who who will kind of listen to my question and then answer a completely different question that they just assumed that I was going to ask because they think they're talking to a third year associate or something like that. When I get that, I you know, I, I don't usually feel like that's something that can be corrected. And so I usually try to ferret that out in the in the engagement process and and we'll we'll just drop them from consideration right there. Sure. I've got a final question for you guys. I love this question because it is also a compliment. Your legal teams sound awesome. How important is it to take in consideration personality when hiring, you know, when you're hiring? I would say it depends what you mean by personality, right? I mean, there are some people who are super extroverted and like sharing all kinds of details of their of their personal lives and will will love kind of just chatting about all that. And then there's some people who who just don't want to do that. I think it's important to have both of those types and that that type of personality characteristic is not something that that I think is is important at all. But if you're talking about, you know, kind of fundamental, what kind of person they are, are they the type of person to to respect other people, to be patient, to want to to really seek to understand where other people are coming from. That, too, is part of personality. But I think that is incredibly important. So just kind of thinking about it live. I mean, put put your head in the in the situation and think, you know, is is this personality difference or this personality going to characteristic? Do you do you think that that's going to interfere with work or not. And and if you think it is, then I'd say it becomes incredibly important. And if it's not, then I'd say it's it's really not important at all. And so the onus is really on you to figure out what personality trait characteristic are you are you talking about? Yeah, I'll just add, I think culture and fit really does matter. It matters whether that person will be a good culture fit within your team. And it definitely matters whether there'll be a good culture fit vis-a-vis the business. Like I said, you're only as good as your cross-functional relationships. And so if somebody's really great on paper, if they've got the best resume and know their craft, but you think that they won't be able to meet the business's needs and be a good culture fit for that team or, or the company more generally, there's just going to be organ rejection. And so I really do focus on that because it would be a shame to bring somebody in only to find that they're just not meshing with either your team or the rest of the company. And to look then, you know, to test for that, I really think it's important in those interviews to have multiple touch points with the person, not just one interview, and really have more conversations after you've asked them questions about the resume to get a sense of who they are. And do you two have the right chemistry so that you can have an important productive dialogue? And then how will they fit within the rest of the business? So I really do try to test for that. And, you know, do they have an ownership mentality? Because that's just going to be essential to being in-house and in-house at a startup. Are they driven by excellence? Because, you know, we certainly at Bungalow have a high performance culture. And so if they're not driven by that, it's just not going to work. So there's just things I have in the back of my mind that I'm testing for. And you only really get at that with multiple interactions with the candidate. Perfect. The only thing I probably would add, which I hate adding more because I think it's already been said, but I would look for, I think Sean, you may have said this previously, people that are excited, kind of like the personality type that I'm looking for is I want to do the work. I'm willing to dive in because there's plenty of folks that 
maybe of the personality where if they see something new, that they may shy away from it. And in the environment that I was in, things were moving very fast. Deals were happening very quickly. Things would change very quickly. So I needed somebody who had the personality type that was, I guess, excited for the change and excited for the pivot and not someone that would shy away from it. So that's all I would add there. But guys, nearing the end of this chat, I want to say thank you so much again. The insight was great. I'm going to steal 90% of the things that you guys just said, especially organ, organ failure of taking that and the no sandwich. That's going to be in a meme. There's no question about it. I'm sorry, Sean. I'm not going to grant rejection. <laughs> rejection. I'm sorry. Organ rejection. For the record. But <laughs> that, one's good. that one's good too. So for everyone watching, thank you so much for showing up here and, and listening in, providing awesome feedback and questions. Um, you can continue to support us by signing up for our newsletter. There's a link is in the comments. You'll also receive a weekly bite-sized legal news podcast, I guess. And I'm on it. It's pretty good, I think. I'm a little biased, obviously. Next event's going to be on the 26th. It's going to be on how non-JD roles can save you time and money. The speakers are from Archer Aviation, NASCAR, and Trinet. The links are in, in the comments, so please feel free to join. Also, we have networking. There's going to be a link, I think, on the left-hand side. And feel free to click that. It's really cool. It happened, and they just kind of pass you along to people, and you get to meet and network. Again, guys, thank you so much. I love the conversation and it's been a blast. Thank you. This was really great. Yeah, thank you both. It was, it was great. Had a lot of fun. Amelia, it was great. Great meeting you through this process. Thanks, Sean. Absolutely.